freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Mike Lefko and Brock Heward with you today. A lot of good stuff already on the show. Great interview with Trey Brown. And he's fun to talk to. He'll get you fired up for football season. Heated cornerback battle shaping up. Seahawks turn to practice today. Their mock game tomorrow. We just heard from Mariners president of baseball operations, Jerry DePoto. And Brock, this Mariners team, they keep winning. They Mm -hmm. keep winning series. They did it again against the Red Sox. And I think what's pretty encouraging, we talked about this uh, to start the show back at 6 o'clock, which feels like a a lifetime ago. (laughs) The sun has come out and it's a great day, but... They keep winning these rubber games. They were not doing that earlier in the season. They'd win nope. the first game, they'd lose the second, and then they'd lose the series. Yep. Well, the last two series, they dropped the middle game against the Diamondbacks, dropped the middle game to the Red Sox, they come back, they get a big win, and they rallied. Yes. They came back in this one. They hadn't yep. done that a lot this season. No, that's what July was about. I mean, July was about winning rubber matches. July was about winning and coming back from behind in some ways. Remember that one game that was the first comeback since like 1991? Oh yeah, the Twins game mm-hmm. against the Twins. I mean, it had been for forever ago um, for the team to do that. And yeah, I mean, in in May and June, you fall behind two, three, zero, and you're like, oh, all right, buckle up for the next one. Like, you know, let's flush that one. Let's put that one behind. Not anymore, man. These guys have, have come together, and it is intriguing to me. And and this made you know some news a couple days ago when Cal Raleigh had a quote to Ryan Divish, you know. And we can read into it a number of different ways. And Cal was just talking about, I, I don't know who the they is on the outside. I don't know if that's the media. I don't know if that's disgruntled fans. I don't know who that, who that pronoun was per se. But if there is a rallying cry in house, awesome. Awesome. If there is that just, you know, team collective group that they can target, not necessarily diminish, but in house rally around. And just say, hey, man, people don't don't believe in us. You know, people, and we've given them a bunch of reasons through the early part of the season. But let's remember, we did do this last year. This core did do this last year. This core did get through the other side of that drought and end this playoff. And that core being Julio and Cal and them the young pitchers and a Eugenio a year ago and JP all the way along. And maybe, you know, God bless them if there is that sense in on the inside of those walls that's like hey man we're coming together and we're going to silence some of these doubters that can be a pretty powerful motivation too yeah just for reference here is uh that cal raleigh cut when he was asked about the seawall trade you know it's unfortunate to see him go we wish him the best of luck but you know it's out of our control and you know i think you know we can look at it two ways we can look at it you know we can kind of pack it in or we can keep going and try to make this thing real and, and uh kind of prove him wrong kind of prove him wrong well, kind he, of prove wrong. he certainly did that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Just play Boston every series for Cal Raleigh. Gosh, wouldn't that be nice? How many? Is that five of his team leading 17 against the Red Sox? Two in Boston on the same day. Two against Boston the other night. One again last night to, to start to be the juice for it, right? It's a bunch of goose eggs, a bunch of zeros, starting pitchers in a pretty good rhythm. And then, boom, you make them bleed. And you get that first cut. And then the rest followed in that seventh. And you played add-on 
an add-on, an add-on, which has been a big part of this July and in that series against Boston too. And you kind of joke that I keep asking, is this for real? Like, have they turned the corner now? But there are signs that finally it looks like it could track. It could finally hold as they're back to four games above 500, have not been five games above 500 at any point this season. But when you look at Raleigh, like you just mentioned, or a Julio who just keeps getting on base, 27-game on-base streak, uh, now career-high 11-game hit streak, and then Eugenio Suarez, 8-game RBI streak. That's the longest active streak in baseball right now. These are the key bats that weren't always producing in situations you needed when the Mariners were losing games. Now they do it. In that seventh inning, it was Julio, and it was Suarez with key hits and with that double steal that both of them were part of. Those two, those are two two of the most important bats in the Mariners lineup. There's a pretty amazing dynamic, and you will hear coaches across all sports and team sports speak to this, Mike. And that pretty amazing dynamic is when your best players kind of lead the way both in a work ethic and a commitment, and that is seemingly not wavered. Anybody that's covered this team and says, no, 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 man. <laughs> Through all the ups and the downs and everything else, the one thing this team has continued to do is work and early work and, and try to get over that hump. But when those guys not only work, when they start producing, look at what the rest do. Look at what the rest do. Look at what Cade Marlowe jumps in and starts doing. Look what Mike Ford and stretches has done. Look at what Tom Murphy. I was going to say, let's not is doing. Yeah. I, I mean, the Murph. You want to talk about the most, the biggest impact over this stretch in July and August? You want to talk about you know a, a key character in this seven one and one stretch against winning teams? JP's probably the head of the list because he's doing it every night, both with his toughness and his production. But Tom Murphy's right there. I mean, his last thirty days have been outright phenomenal. And nobody hitting the ball harder, more consistently than Tom Murphy. But that happens when? That happens when the guys on the front end do their job. So the guys on the back end don't feel like they've got to do any more. What was happening in April and May and June was the inverse. It was Julio struggling. It was, it was Teo struggling, right? It was Eugenio struggling. And what happened to Pollock and Wong in the back end of it? Well, they struggled that much more. And therefore, you had the offensive inconsistency. Now, well, now you have the team that Jerry and Justin and, and Scott and many of them envisioned with elite pitching, elite bullpen, tremendous defense, and now an offense that complements one another. And when they do, you can score five, six, seven runs, which they've done an awful lot of in this winning streak and closing the gap. Question, yeah. question for yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Question for you both of you guys. Does this current stretch and the way they've been playing in July kind of remind you of the way that they played when all the suspensions kind of added up after the brawl where everyone mm. just started stepping up in different ways? Mm. Do you get a similar vibe to this, or is that just me? No, I think there is a very similar vibe because in that stretch, now that was a historic stretch of 14 straight, right? And it was a lot of different contributors. Yeah. Yeah, it was Sam Haggerty. It, it was a bunch. I mean, yeah, I think you can point to, hey, man, Kim Marlowe's had some phenomenal, phenomenal at-bats and giving you a chance. Tom Murphy has been just lights out and giving you a chance. And, yeah, it, Mooney, Mooney yesterday stepping up. Not a safe situation, but still a ninth inning where you got to get the 27th out and just be in nails and, and Brash being better the last two, three times out than he was. Yeah. No, I think that Justin is fair. And I do think Anaheim for four, San Diego for two at home and the Orioles for three. This 10 game stretch with 54 to go is going to solidify exactly that. And there's certainly something to be said for that us against the world mentality. 
Mm-hmm. That's why teams try so hard to to manufacture a, a chip yep. on their shoulder, right? Uh, K- Kirby Smart last year with Georgia football, who no one doubted at all at any point in the season, at, at the end of the year, right? What did he yeah. say after they won the national? Oh, yeah. No one believed in us. You know, we weren't number one for like a week. So yeah, with the Mariners, they have some legitimate okay. Players, we can close ranks. We are yep. going to put this on ourselves. There's a lot of pride, a lot of belief in ourselves. And we're going to go out there and show that we're a good baseball team. And I think you're seeing that from what Cal said, from the performances on the field of a veteran like Tom Murphy, mm-hmm. of Julio, with mm-hmm. the weight of the franchise and the city on his shoulders, mm-hmm. picking it up, of Eugenio Suarez realizing, all right, this is my bat that's needed here in the middle of the lineup. Big run-producing bat coming to life. So, yeah, yeah, adversity strikes in many different forms, and you can find a lot of ways to motivate yourself, but I think that's what this team's doing right now. It's a yep, lot man. easier to get water out of the boat when everybody's helping with the bucket. Oh. Like when one guy's oh, doing oh. it, you're, you're you're all drowning. Wow. Was that Libyism right there, man? That's powerful right <laughs> there. Like chopping down a tree would have been more Libyan. Jeez, that's I mean, the true. first yeah. hour, it was stay ready, not get ready, and right there, a lot easier to get the water out of the boat when everybody's got a bucket. That's why you tune in to the Brock and Salk show with Lefko in today. That's why you tune into this show every morning. You never know what you're going to get. And I'm not even dropping my lingo anymore. Just waiting for it. Uh, maybe this final final 45, I'll have to do it again. I was I was waiting for it, too. I'm kind of glad. All right. So uh, we do. We do have uh, big stuff coming up. We, uh, we're going to get into some Clint Hurt sound about the defense and the run defense specifically. Because for all the excitement uh, about the secondary and the depth that they have there at cornerback and mm-hmm. back there at the safeties and for how good the offense is expected to be. It all boils down to that run defense. So there's a, there's a lot to dig into. And we also have a fairly unique ranked, almost a cross-show synergy. We're going to take wow. something from wow. Bob Stelton and rank some of the characteristics of the afternoon show for ranked. There, mm. There's a tease. There's a Super. tease right there. But, and everything you need to know, including some yes, breaking news, possibly, in college football. The Pac-12. There is some news about the Pac-12. Uh, not good, necessarily, but news mm. for sure. So we will get to that next. This is mm. the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. It is potentially, as Brock phrased it, the death knell for the Pac-12. Uh, a couple of reports coming out from John Wilner and from Dan Wetzel about the future of the Pac-12. We know the Arizona Board of Regents has set a meeting for 6 o'clock tonight, which includes the agenda item, possible legal advice and discussion regarding university athletics. And then John Wilner tweeted, I expect the future of the Pac-12 to be determined in the next 24 to 36 hours. Meanwhile, Yahoo Sports' Dan Wetzel, who will join Bump and Stacy at 11 o'clock, actually Curtis Rogers filling in today for Bump, he will join them at 11, but he also said the Big Ten hesitant right now, but they are looking at Oregon and Washington. They just don't want to be the ones that uh, kind of be the first one to jump in there and break everything up. Yeah, it feels like the ultimate game of musical chairs. I forget if it was musical chairs or the cakewalk back in the day at the the elementary school carnival, right where you're going around. I think it was a combination of both of those things, but you're going around, going around, and when the music stops, you got to run and jump on a chair. I don't know if the kids can do that anymore. People get hurt. It's offensive to have just one winner at the end of it. So maybe we don't do musical chairs anymore. I don't know. But I sure love that game. And it would get a little violent at times, right, as you're trying to bump your buddy off the chair. I was there first. My cheek hit first. You know, you're bumping people out. But that not that what this feels like in the ultimate college football landscape is you're trying to figure out, and for Arizona and Arizona State, like, what do we do? If the music stops and Oregon and Washington leave, 
happen? And they're going to the Big Ten. Now what? Now we're the Pac-7? And is it better for us to be the Pac-7 and add at San Diego State? And do we trust George Klevkoff in this league office and where this thing is going and what have our media partners told us? And there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of music playing. But ultimately, you don't want to be the one that doesn't have a seat to sit in, man. That's what this is feeling like right now. Well, and it feels like a game of chicken, too, right? Because you can have Colorado leave. And if you're the Arizona Board of Regents and you could say, all right, we have confidence in the rest of this group, in this unit, in this cohesion of schools that we lose one, we add a San Diego State. You know, maybe we add a Boise State, the the long off talked about, all right, just bring Boise State in there. But so you know what that takes? Like you know what that, that takes, Mike? You know, unity, you know what that takes? It right? takes trust. Yeah. It takes trust. It takes trust in one. Do you think there's any trust amongst Sounds these like presidents and no. these boards? And you think there's anything collegial going on, looking out for the best interest of a particular conference, or is it everybody, unfortunately, looking out for themselves? That's what it feels like. Here's the second thing you need to know. Mariners begin a big series tonight against the Angels, the uh, confusingly named Los Angeles Angels. They play in Anaheim, though, Brock, even though they're ashamed Mm -hmm. of that. You know, I might be, too, with those fans. Don't want to start a war again. But last year, that was that was part of the fun of that brawl. The uh, the war between the Mariners fans and the Angels fans. And that starts tonight. Pivotal series because these two teams are neck and neck in trying to chase down a wild card spot. Currently, the Mariners at 56 and 52, just ahead of the Angels at 56 and 53. Four-game series starts tonight. Brian Wu on the mound for the Mariners. Shohei Otani for the Angels. What are you looking at when it comes to these four games? Mm, uh, the, the biggest four yet of the season. And there will continue to be the next biggest two and the next biggest four. And that's the way it goes when there's only 54 remaining. The Angels have said, we're all in. We are absolutely going for it. As Jeff Passon said to us on Tuesday, maybe a lot of it doesn't make sense. Certainly on paper and the processes and the evaluations of today's statistics and analytics, what they did in the trade didn't make sense. But from a, hey, man, we're going to absolutely go for it, throw caution to the wind, and we got Shohei Otani, and he's going tonight. This is a series, if you're in Anaheim, you got to win. you got to smoke it. And, and you got you know a struggling Brian Wu right now is a, is a young guy that's trying to figure out off-speed pitches and how to get left-handers out against Shohei Otani. You know this is a big one on their end. It's a huge series on your end. And the stakes just keep getting higher from here. Yeah, a couple of scoreboard watching games for the Mariners in this wild card race. So the Orioles and Blue Jays, they finish up their series today, 12.07 first pitch. And the Astros and Yankees start a series tonight, 4.15 first pitch. That is huge because Houston's right there in that second wild card spot. And the Yankees are tied with the Mariners right now, 56 and 52. You root for both teams to lose, but uh, you can't. So maybe you root for the Yankees to take a couple and bring the Astros back down to the bunch, or who knows? I'm not going to tell you to ever root for Houston, but uh, one of these teams significantly winning a series would help out the Mariners if they take care of business uh, against the Angels. Here's the third thing you need to know. We're getting right into it. It is football season. Hall of Fame game tonight. The Jets and the Browns. That also means you have some timelines for the Seahawks. The mock game is tomorrow. Big fan fest happening at Lumen Field. And then the mock game tomorrow night as well. And then preseason game number one. Seahawks, Vikings. A week from tonight at home, 7 o'clock. Yeah, it starts to get real from here, right? As kids like to say, it's getting real. And tonight, when we actually see real action, it's not Aaron Rodgers and it's not Deshaun Watson. And for these teams that play an extra long preseason with this Hall of Fame game, um, makes all the sense in the world not to see their stars tonight. But it does give NFL fans a very real, okay, 
Uh, the key's in the ignition. The engine is starting. The NFL machine is going to get going. And doesn't matter who's playing. And for players 40 through 90 on the roster tonight, for some, it's going to be the biggest moment of their life. And I, for one, will be tuning in. I know we talk about Hard Knocks a lot in terms of the big storylines and the personalities on there, but that's a very enjoyable part of that show, right? Those position it battles, is. they do the best job, I think, of highlighting those end-of-roster spots, those guys just fighting for that yep. 53 to get to the end there, to be that final guy on the roster. And you really get a lot of empathy empathy for players that you never would know or hear of. <laughs> I don't know the, the last roster spots on the Jets, or the Texans, or the Raiders, any of these teams that have been on recently, but you root for them, and it makes it a really fun part of preseason. And then you kind of find yourself, that's everything you need to know, kind of find yourself watching them. It was Rodrigo a year ago. Yeah. Right? Remember yeah, the, the little yeah. linebacker from Oklahoma Wyman's State? Guy. He's his guy all Malcolm year Malcolm Rodriguez, yeah. man. Amazing player. Saw him in Stillwater three, four times in his career. Four-time state wrestling champ, undersized. And all of a sudden, man, this character comes to life in Hard Knocks. And then you kind of get in the regular season and, and even from afar, track him down, watch him, keep an eye on him because there's a – there's a saying in, in broadcasting, right? There's a level of humanity first, right? Humanize, then analyze. And Hard Knocks humanizes before they then analyze for all the rest of us as well. Well, it is time for us to uh, get back into some analyzing because we're going to take a look at the Seahawks run defense. How do they fix it? I don't know. There's no easy answer to that, but Clint Hurt will offer some suggestions and some answers to that question, and we'll dive into that as well. It is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, like these tunes. Brock's bouncing along, too. Mike Lefko, Brock Heward with you for okay. a few more minutes. Quick confession. Uh-huh. And this is a way the Lord just can humble me every once in a while, right? As I try to be on fleek. Over the course of the show today. Oh, you finally realize you're not. Okay. Try to be a hundo P, you know, all the things uh, that, that I want to be in Gen Z or whatever I am. I'm, I don't even know what I am. But the reality is I'm an old man. Okay. That's the reality. Because I just was crying during break. I just uh, reposted something. I think my wife initially posted it here. That's where I saw it on Twitter during break. And uh, one of my nephews is a tight end at Eastern Michigan University, Gabe Hoffman, awesome player, played at Eastside Catholic, all-state kid, big kid, and he's there at Eastern Michigan. And, yeah, I just watched a, a video of their head coach presenting all that can still be right in the game of college football. I know we want to get to Clint Hurt, some great sound here. And through need to knows today, and you're certainly hearing of trials and travails in the game I love and the selfishness of everybody got to look out for their own agenda and the musical chairs, but Eastern Michigan head coach in that team room showing you still everything that can be right. And I just started crying just that I, you know, like I, I still could try to be all hipster. I could try to try to be all these things, but uh, I'm not. And that video, once again, exposing that I, as I get older, am prone to cry, get emotional. And the gist of it is a kid gives up, like Rudy Rudiger, even more, like to real life, gives up his scholarship because his parents have the means to do so for a kid in that room that doesn't, who's a walk-on. And, oh, my gosh, it's a, it's a good one. Wow, so, cool. Yep, pretty mm. neat, man. Pretty neat. Still showing you that there is still so much hope and opportunity out there. Those scholarship videos are the best. Oh. They are probably the coolest part of college football. And I think it, it rings home what, what you said about all the the m money grabbing it can be seen and all the off-field issues and the 
pervasive negativity mm-hmm. around college football and the future of it. But when you get to the games, we can put that aside. We can compartmentalize when we watch the games themselves because of the kids. And what you were saying uh, last segment about, you know, humanity over analysis, you know, yes. and empathy. Humanize and before yeah. you analyze. And the human element of it still is, and this is, this is in the MAC, right? It's Division One football. This isn't intramurals, brother. It is still Division One football. But when you get to Division Two and Division Three and NAI, and I know programs, and I know coaches at that level and those levels, and and it still matters. <laughs> and there's still unbelievable life lessons we learn through what I would argue the greatest team sport. There's other great sports, but team sports, the team component of football, the different shapes and sizes, and that will be the lead-in to Clint Hurt in this defensive run game and run stopping. There are so many different characters and shapes and talents that take a a football team coming together. And uh, when it does, as you see in that little video, man, it moves you still. Yeah, because those guys aren't pros, but these guys, these Seahawks are about to talk about, are so... You can rightfully analyze and criticize, and it's their job. It's their profession. They yep. uh, they get paid to do this. And for Clint Hurt, there were a lot of questions about the defense last season, and I think he admitted that year one as the defensive coordinator, you know, there's a lot to pick up. You're not just coaching the D-line anymore. You are in charge of everything, all these things, all these concepts that you're flying at you. You have to be in charge of every position group, oversee everyone. So uh, Clint Hurt here was just kind of explaining how things are different now in year two. Obviously, things slow down with the more experience, like being in this role, kind of know what to expect. You know, the anticipation of certain things and, and whatnot has been really, really good. And obviously, just uh, of where we need to go with our package and the calls and utilizing personnel uh, better. Because the first year is a world when you're putting stuff together, things you're taking out, things you're adding in. You know, really, this offseason was about, okay, where are we going to simplify, execute better, and obviously accentuate, you know, your guys are going to make plays. So that part's been... It's been slowed down. When you first get into it, obviously learning experience for me, there was a lot going on, you know, first time around. So a lot different this year, offseason, second offseason. I know you have more uh, specifically about how they're going to stop the run here in a second, which I do really enjoy. But tell me that does not bookend the start of our show with Trey Brown talking about stay ready so I'm not getting ready to the back end of the show here, final segment we have together today because you hear Clint Hurt saying, and I hear Position coaches say this all the time. Coordinators say this all the time as they get ready and want to get ready. So, you know, they're, they're, they're staying ready all the time to be a head coach, kind of that next step up. And Clint Hurt, while he was a D coordinator or a D line coach for 20 some years, you know what he was doing? Hey, man, I'm staying ready. I'm staying ready. I'm staying ready. So when I get that call and I get to be a coordinator, I hit the ground running, but you don't have any time on task. <laughs> you could stay ready all you want. You could stay ready, man. I got my notes. I got my schemes. I got my X's and O's. I got the way I'm going to do it. Things I've learned from people that I like, things I'm not going to do that I didn't like. And I'm staying ready. But there's still no substitute for experience that comes with actually being in the job. Well, you've heard the adage, right, in boxing. You know, everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth. Yep. Well, that's that's football to an extent. When you are on top of an item like that, you are a master at your position group. And then all of a sudden, you get into the throes of a game and live action. It's flying at you. So I imagine that's going to help a little bit as well. In addition to the guys they brought in. So we'll get into the personnel a little bit. And, you know, the... The old cast-offs that maybe didn't fit exactly what the Seahawks wanted to do and what these guys they brought in will help out with. But here is Clint Hurt kind of on the overall nature of their run defense mentality. you got to earn the right to rush the pass. That's the biggest thing. And having some situational awareness, these offensive formations and things of that nature, when you know the runs are coming, that we have to heighten our awareness for. You know, for our young players to do that, the discipline for our veteran guys to recognize it. Because if you do that and you're more consistent stopping the run, you're committed to it, 
now you earn more rights to go rush the passer. And you know, that's the big thing. Last we finished tied for seven in sacks last year, and we couldn't stop the run to save our life. So imagine if you get more opportunities to rush by defending the run game better. And that's the part that nobody ever talks about. We just they like we had three sacks in a season, but we finished tied for seven. But you know, that's always a nobody thinks Seattle can play. <laughs> sacks are great. And, you know, the team and the behemoth down in the bay that you knocked off one time, that was like in 11, 12, 13, when you set up your run. Well, they're still there now, and you're going to knock, knock, have to knock off this iteration of them. They're a little different, Mike. They have a mantra and a philosophy, which is we're going to stop the run on the way to the passer. When you watch them play and you see Bosa in that wide nine, he almost is as wide as a nickelback. Right, and you see Eric Armstead in a sprinter stance, and those guys, and in Philly, likewise, those two teams at the very top of the food chain in the NFC going into the season, certainly at the end of last year, their mantra is we're going to stop the run on the way to the passer. I think you hear Clint Hurts saying, "Well, we got to the passer, <laughs> but we couldn't stop the run. So how do we emphasize stopping the run? How do we do that first and foremost?" San Fran was number one in the league last year. They averaged 3.4 yards per carry against the run. You were at 4.9. That is an enormous, enormous five feet difference, right, on an average run play. So you've got to first do that. And then you mentioned the personnel. I mean, you're out there watching it, and I know it's a little hard where you sit and you guys are busy and and your show's going on while they're practicing, but you have to tell. Even when you go out and watch the one-on-ones, the level of dynamic athleticism from this defensive line front is night and day from last year. Well, that's what I was going to say. And that, that's what jumped out to me from what Bobby Wagner said a couple of days ago when he spoke after practice because you lose a big space filler in Al Woods and they got rid of other guys who maybe we didn't LJ really Collier, know their role. Ford, to say that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But now you have guys where Bobby Wagner explains here, they are built for what the Seahawks want to do up front. I was a big dude, man. So what it... Um, whether he's getting penetration or standing there, nobody's really moving him. Um, you know, the difference with them is they're able to move. They're a little bit more shiftier. So um, on some of those angle blocks, it's a little bit harder to get, get to them because they're so quick and they're able to get outside. So um, with that quickness, we need to just be able to, as linebackers, be able to read off of that and, and um, you know, make sure we find the ball. And they're going to have to play off that. And it's going to be our KJ Wright conversations this year are going to be awesome, just mm-hmm. as they were a year yeah. ago. Right, KJ comes in every hour. It's so fun for me, Mike. You want to talk about jelly? Come on. Look oh. who's jelly now. You get one hour with KJ right in here. And he's so he's so good. He's so transparent. And he teaches the game from the quarterback of the defense's perspective, which are those linebackers. And Bobby does it too when in short bursts when we get him. But we get KJ an hour every Wednesday during the football season. In fact, I think that might start even next week or certainly a couple times here in August we're going to get KJ for an hour. And you hear Bobby say, no, this is different now. Like, we're going to have to play off these guys. Guess, guess what Dre Jones can do? He can disrupt and get upfield. And Jaron Reed gets, can, can disrupt and get upfield. And Uchenna and those edges and, and Derek Hall. Man, those guys puncture. They're not just sitting targets, which we saw so much last year. Even if they had size and some substance, we still got so many times where they're just washed Right where they're just washed in the second level. They can't play off anybody because I'm in the tide. Right? I'm in the tide. I'm not I'm not there. I'm not not, not able to body surf. I'm being swallowed. And and now I gotta I gotta body surf. I gotta read these waves. I gotta be able to make plays and, and get to. And so that will be a lot more of the conversation this year is Bobby and Devin Bush, both new, 
right, to this group, to this front seven, to this coordinator, playing off a much more athletic front in front of them. Yeah, and with Jaron Reed and with Dre Jones, that helps up front. I have to feel like it's a significant upgrade in terms of understanding this defense in that second level at mm-hmm. linebacker with Bobby Wagner back. They didn't. The Seahawks did not let him go because they didn't feel like Bobby Wagner wasn't still a good player. They let him go because of a price point. You weren't going to pay him $18 million, maybe close to $20 million that season. You get him back, and obviously the Seahawks wanted him back here because last year you had a guy in Cody Barton who I still believe Dave Wyman that Cody Barton's a good linebacker. I just don't think Cody Barton understood how to read off those blocks. That's kind of what Wyman was diagnosing throughout the season, that all those things that Bobby was talking about, and he actually gets into a little bit more here, that understanding, the fundamental understanding and the ability to pick it up immediately, you you have to read, but you can't think. You cannot let your mind analyze and you know paralysis by analysis. Top Gun Maverick on me. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it felt like. Cody Barton was doing at times, getting getting lost in it, and just listen to this understanding that Bobby Wagner has on how you read and play off of what the D line's doing. Um, I think it's just understanding your run fits. I think uh, what it means by that is the team is not going to just line up and let's say you have an A or B gap. They're not going to just line up and and come right at you. They're going to move a guy. They're going to motion a guy. And all those motions changes changes your gap, and so you have to know what your gap is after that. And I think just having an understanding, because sometimes they'll, you know, motion to put the nickel into the fit. Now the nickel has a run gap, or they'll move the tight end and make the the outside guy have to fold back in. So there's different ways that they can, you know, the offense does to mess with your run fit. So just being mindful of that, being able to communicate that with everybody, and just being on the same page, I think that's the mm-hmm. biggest emphasis. And speaking of time on task, man, there is a decade and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of snaps for Bobby, right, that he has played in his career, where when he's out there, if you think, you're dead. All right? You got to just react. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't understand anything that he was saying there, but he understands it. Why don't you understand? The terminology. I mean, that's linebacker specific. That's football specific. Well, you, You work with a linebacker every day. You know what Dave's job is to do? Help teach you that language. All right? I let him explain it. For the no, masses. No, no. no, but he's got to teach you. I'm going to get on Wyman. That no, makes no, no. Me upset. So, no, no, listen. I defer because <laughs> Wyman gets mad at people who pretend to know True. if they don't. So True. I'm, I'm going to say, look, I'm not a linebacker. I'm going to let them explain Good for you. and analyze what they're saying. So Good for you. the fact that Bobby has such a mastery and understanding of, hey, it's not just we want to line up and do this. Mm-hmm. How do you adapt when the offense moves out of that gap and say, okay, look, <laughs> he, he broke it down there. That look, all right, maybe the linebackers pre-snap, they know they're going this way depending on what the tackle in front of them is going to do. But all of a sudden, if that changes based on pre-snap movement, what the offense is going you know to do, the beautiful reality then you get, you get washed in it, like of, you were saying. Of playing defenses, Mike. You know what the beautiful reality of that side of the ball is? Is It's an oxymoron in so many ways. And it's why I love it. It's why I love this game. It's why, again, I call it the greatest team game because there's so many different components to it. But defensively, what Bobby is telling you is we got to react pre-snap. We got to react. We got to react to personnel groupings. We got to react to formations. We got to react to pre-snap movement. All of those dance moves that an offense does to try to mess with you, we got to react and be in lockstep in that dance. Do you ever watch that show? Is that show still going on where they find the best dancers on ABC? You know, so you think you can dance? Yeah. Do they still do that? They still got that show going? Brock, do you think you can dance? No, I know I can't dance. I'm a terrible dancer. I'm Wilbur from um, from Footloose. I, I can't dance at all. But defensively, pre-snap, you've got to do that dance. But here's the oxymoronic thing about it. Once that ball is snapped, what do you hear all the time? Now I just got to react. 
and I got to simplify and I got to go right. And the best defenses are what ones, the ones that react and then they dictate and I get to dictate to this offense and I get to just let it go and cut it loose and be violent and aggressive and downhill. And I get to impose my physical will on people. So pre-snap, you got to do that dance. You got to react to everything post-snap. I got to dictate. And uh, that group last year, it sounds like after the fact, did very little of both. Hey, Brock, when it came to the run defense. Uh, I want to get to rank, but we got we got caught up in the Seahawks, and there was some news that happened. And thank you to the 509 who brought this to my attention. And then you checked Twitter, and it is indeed uh, unfolded. The mm. University of Washington has uh, announced a Board of Regents meeting at 9 o'clock tonight. And it will, quote, include an executive action or an executive session, and no action will be taken. So, Brock, will you be at that meeting? 9 p.m. What do you take away from that before oh, we get into ranked here? You're going to rank by yourself. I got to get on a plane. I'm sorry. I <laughs> you got to get up here. Are you you part of the board of regents meeting? But yeah, okay. So we know that Arizona has a regents meeting at six. Yeah. And now you you dub to follow at nine o'clock. What does that signal to you? It's getting real. It's getting very very real. That actually real numbers are going to be presented to both of these sides. That you don't you don't gather those groups together unless you've got real stuff to discuss. So now Washington's got a real item agenda to discuss. They've got a real, more than likely, hard, fast number from the Big Ten. And now, folks, we, we're not going to make a decision tonight. I think, is that what that, 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 that yes, expression was? Yes, it's a no was? executive So maybe action. Friday morning we'll have a decision to make. But we've got something we've got to discuss. We've got to sleep on, as do the Arizona schools tonight, as they look at that Big 12 number and that Big 12 deal, and does that become real? And now the music is truly playing. Now we're not just in the room at the carnival with the chairs. Now the music is playing. And will it stop? When it, will it ever stop? We will find out probably with breaking news tomorrow. Yeah. Well, and stay tuned because uh, great get there by uh, Bump and Stacy. Curtis is filling in for Bump today, but they're going to have. Dan Wetzel, who's been on top of all this news. They're going to have him on at 11 a.m., so stay tuned for that uh, coming up in about an hour. But right now, it's time for Ranked. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is Ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on Brock and Saw. Yeah, top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Dude, you got a lot to do in a hurry now in seven minutes. But did you get my Vanilla Ice lyric I just dropped on your forehead? I think I was busy actually reading some news. No. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. <laughs> I uh, I did notice that Trey Brown did not get your, what was it, Goodfellas reference? When oh, you said funny, 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 funny how? Uh-huh. Funny? Yeah. Funny like a clown? Funny. Well, he didn't know about Pete Carroll's book, so yeah, I don't think he was born when Goodfellas came out. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like Bob Stelton was. Okay, okay, go ahead. Hammer through it. Yeah. Um, well, luckily... As you tee me up there, I don't do the 20-plus honorable mentions, and I think Maura is grateful for That's that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and also, no music today. Sorry, Justin. Oh, wow. Um, but Justin did kind of come up with a topic. It is the top five things that bug Bob. Well, you do, you do what's bugging Bob. Weekly. Yeah, and a nice bit of show synergy and based on the pretzel incident. So yeah. great like, idea by Justin. really bugging Bob? Show Synergy here. We do a segment Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 2.45 on the Wyman and Bob show called What's Bugging Bob? And the pretzel situation that unfolded earlier in the week was really bugging all of us, but uh, specifically Bob. So Justin was like, hey, why don't you rank the top five things that bug Bob? I was like, well, there's there's nothing that bugs Bob. You know, certainly couldn't think of five. (laughs) 
How many honorable mentions? There's a few really honorable have? mentions. I mean, Brock, do you, have, do you have any that jump out to you? Germs. Germs? Yeah. That would be number one on my list. Yeah. As that's, that's pretty high uh, mm-hmm. on my list. Um, certainly an honorable mention is people eating his food. Yes. Salt. <laughs> I see that. And then also, you guys are not aware of this, Maura is, uh, in a previous iteration of this morning show, one Paul Gallant accidentally ate Bob Stelton's scone. Mm-hmm. I still don't know how it happened, was... but... Well, I think Bob got here early. He sat... He sat down. He put the scone down near Paul, who was still sitting yeah. at a desk. Paul came out of our show and thought someone left him a yes. gift for some oh, reason oh, um, oh, and just oh. ate. It was like, oh, this is sitting kind of in front of my computer. I'll just mm, eat it. Mm. And then Bob came back. What else bugs Not Bob? Good. I don't know. Hygiene, traffic, fake tough guys. Technology. Have you ever heard? Mornings. Uh, speaking of the Pac-12 uh-huh. and this proposed Apple deal, if that if that was struck. Bad singers. You would never have Dave Wyman or Bob Stelton watch a single game. They hate watching on streaming platforms. Sure. sure. Because as well, Bob puts it, you can't channel surf. Yeah, I mean, they're in the 60 plus. It's, it gets hard. Yeah. Um, so those two. I, I mean, 50 plus, not 60. He, he also right. doesn't like my two passions, which not a lot of people like pickleball. So I'll, I'll give him credit up for that. But uh, that's a popular refrain on here. Um, does not like pickleball or paddleboarding. We were discussing this one time because he tried wow. to paddleboard and he kept falling off. Yeah. Oh, so, of course, it means he can't like it. So, yeah, vertigo it's issues. Tough. Yeah. Balance issues. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, 253 so says five. hotel bed sheets. He hates. Oh, That's oh, an honorable mention oh, as well. Oh, oh. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. I learned about his suitcase decontamination oh. process after spring Bizarre. training. Yes, the post plane process. Uh, I don't know how you could travel then with, with that fear of germs. Uh, okay, you want me to get right to the top five. Yep. All right. Yep. This was surprising to me, so I think it warrants inclusion on the list. Bob is from here. He grew up here. He hates seafood. Is this number five? You're going to go five, four, three, two, one, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's number five. That's how you do it. To the point where you usually do number one first. Tom Nelson from the outdoor line. (laughs) will be kind enough to bring us yep. like fresh smoked salmon oh. and everyone else is enjoying it and Tom Nelson will be like nervous like oh I better get this out of here before Bob Stelton comes in it's like the smell what yep. why yep. do we have to cater to Bob everyone else is That's enjoying right. it spot shrimp dungeness crab some of the delicacies of the Pacific Northwest no delicacies with the island mm. would be island mussels you're Plans. making me hungry now this is a problem penco mussels and co muscles. Ooh. Missing wow. out, man. See, there are plenty. 206. A- Alex Bregman's punchable face. Yep. The Astros, certainly, <laughs> they bug Bob. Uh, Mark Canna, which would have been interesting had he come here. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot. But now to number four, which is fair. It's just that when Bob was living in West Seattle and before the bridge is open, this was a common refrain. Oh, I think yeah. it was the impetus. <laughs> it yeah. was the impetus and the creation of our segment, What's Bugging Bob? Yeah. Traffic. All the time. I'd get videos, I'd get pictures, I'd get phone calls. <laughs> oh, uh, traffic here, man. Bridge. He needs to prove man. it with pictures uh-huh. and videos. No, I think just explaining his frustration of like, there was only one way out of West Seattle when that bridge was shut yeah. down, and so it would back up for miles. Mm. Mm. So traffic is a common refrain. And that's yeah. fair, though. That, yeah. that is a fair one, but it's high on the list for yeah. the top five things that bug Bob. Uh, there's some other good ones coming in here from the texters. But number three, Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> yeah. Morinos. Morinos. Strong out. opinionists bother him? Yeah, well, it's because Stephen A. Smith tries to weigh in on UFC. Ah. 
And that of particular, if you're going to try to talk about uh, Bob's Another karate. business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I say really karate in jazz. His, but I don't think he loves the screaming delivery either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Complains about that. I'm getting mm-hmm. texts from people who work here who are like, I um, I could have added to the list. I don't know if I should say who. So. Do they want to chime in, make some contributions? I'll ask. We'll get some off air contributions. Three, so these maybe you're getting them. Okay. Um, number two. People touching his things because of the germs, and then people in general. Oh, see, I was going to say specifically children. Ah, yeah. Not a fan. But doesn't, so I think Bob's Instagram profile, his bio says, like, I love dogs more than people. Yeah. But he does. True. He loves his yeah. dog. And that that is very sweet. But uh, anyone touching his things because of the germaphobe thing, mm-hmm. that uh Does it bug really him, him if you mess edge. up on the board at all? Like, if you oh, accident, yeah. does it bug him at all? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. The, Just ask more. I mean, the two the recent producers for the show. When you mess up on the board, is it's pretty infamous. Yeah. So there, there are plenty there. Uh, is it time for number one? Time for number yeah, one. Time for number one. Someone guessed this actually. The number one thing that bugs Bob Stelton through the eyes of his producer, his coworker. And his team member. And now Matt Nelson, who has just walked in here, who was just informed of the topic, and he has started laughing. He's going to have something to chime <laughs> into as well. The number one thing that bugs Bob Stelton is... Can you guess? Can you guess, Brock? Nope. You know it. Waking up before 11 a.m. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who has had to book interviews for him at 9.30 a.m., I can, can The man goes to, The vampire goes to sleep at like 3, right? Every yeah. night. <laughs> The That's rock star why. never left him. I know. The it rock never star left him. All right. Uh, maybe we'll do what's bug or what but bugs Dave tomorrow for rank. That was Justin's idea. Uh, we I love I those guys. Good. They're I great to work the with. You're not going to get me in it. trouble over here, Justin. <laughs> this was all in good fun. That was uh, our rank. Great show today. Thanks to Trey Brown, Jerry Depoto, and uh, everyone else who chimed in. Brock, uh, a lot of fun. Thanks for Thank listening you, to man. Seattle Sports Station. Bump and Stacy coming up next. Thanks for running the show. Get to the